A hundred years ago, there was a man named John. Or was it 80 years ago? Or was it today? Even John's not sure. All he really knows is that while so many things change, there are also so many things that stay the same. Traveling through the web of time with his old friend Ed in their ever-changing barbershop, John makes a point to always grab the local newspaper. The time capsules that let him and Ed know exactly where, and more importantly, when they are. No matter what part of time they land in, it seems John and Ed are known by every local they encounter, so it's best they stay up on the times. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Today we find John returning to the shop with a copy of the Alexandria Gazette. The date is August 1st, 1914, and they're in a place called Alexandria, Virginia. Just four days ago, Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia. Today, Germany and Russia declared war against each other. France ordered a general mobilization, and the first German army units will cross into Luxembourg in preparation for the German invasion of France. During the next three days, Russia, France, Belgium in Great Britain, will all line up against Austria-Hungary and Germany, and the German army will invade Belgium. The great war that ensues will be one of previously unprecedented devastation and death. But right now, many of the people of Europe are kind of greeting the coming war with delight. Most patriotically, they all assume that their country will be victorious within months. Of the initial combatants, Germany is the most prepared for the outbreak of hostilities, and its military leaders have already organized a serious military strategy known as the Scheiflin Plan, with which they expect the defeat of France through a massive arcing offensive through Belgium and into northern France. Russia, a touch slow to mobilize, is to be kept busy by Austro-Hungarian forces while Germany attacks France. But we all know even the best laid plans rarely make it to face the enemy. No one really knows how ugly this war is going to get. And things aren't looking very good for Mrs. Hall at the moment either. And now we too are falling through the archives. Yes, we're going to the baseball game this afternoon. Still in Alexandria, and it's still 1914. August the 1st, I would assume. Well, yes. I said we would go to the baseball game. Not too hard to figure out. It's Saturday, August 1st. And it's 1914. That's, that's what I said. What, what are you getting at, Ed? Just getting clear on the date. It's Saturday, August 1st, 1914. Not a great day. Go on. Give us the news. All right. Just you let me get myself situated. 
Okay, it's Saturday, August 1st, 1914. Ha! I knew you would do that. We just got through confirming the date, man. Must you always repeat yourself? Uh-huh, I told you, it's our routine. It's important. Now let's see here. War is an assured fact. Break has occurred between Emperor William and Tsar Nicholas. Clash inevitable. General conflict throughout Europe now believed to be a matter of but a few hours. Paris, August 1st. Diplomatic relations between Russia and Germany have been severed. An official news agency dispatch received here from Berlin via London. With the expiration at noon of Germany's ultimatum to the Tsar, arrangements were at once begun in both capitals for the taking over of the embassies by neutral powers. It is expected that the United States will be asked to act in both capitals. London, August 1st. It is officially reported here that diplomatic relations between Russia and Germany were severed at noon today. It is also reported here that the German ambassador to Russia has already demanded his passports and started for the frontier. Paris, August 1st. The German ambassador to France has asked Marion T. Herrick, an ambassador of the United States, whether he will take over the German embassy and act in behalf of Germany in case of hostilities between France and Germany. Herrick has referred the request to President Wilson and is expected to receive permission. The situation is growing more grave. London, August 1st. The situation extremely critical along the Franco-German frontier today. It is feared that the first fighting, which will be the signal for the opening of a general European war, will be between French and German troops. The border conditions have been brought to a critical stage due to German troops stopping French trains, seizing locomotives, and tearing up tracks. It is reported that a detachment of German cavalry actually crossed the border and entered France. This has inflamed the French, although the Germans immediately withdrew. Tracks were torn up and guns placed in positions at pagny sur moselle Four French locomotives were seized at Montreuil after the railroad tracks had been torn up. After seizing French rolling stock and cutting the telegraph wires, Germans at Amenavillers, another frontier town, forced the French railwaymen to walk back to their own territory. Motor cars carrying tourists have been seized by German troops and their occupants sent back to French soil. Large bodies of French and German troops are now patrolling the border. With Germans seizing French property at unguarded points, it is feared fighting may soon break out on the frontier. Preparing for the tug of war. British and German squadrons in North Sea ready to clear decks. Only await signal. French government seizes all telegraph and telephone lines to make censorship complete. London, August 1st. The British war fleet, stripped for action, is mobilized into the North Sea. The German battle squadron, in the same condition, is off the south of Holland. They await the word by wireless that the state of war exists. One German squadron is already reported stopping merchant vessels demanding their destination and manifest. Scout cruisers of both nations are reported patrolling the coast. The greatest naval battle in history is certain almost immediately following the declaration of war. The British and German fleets are being augmented as fast as reserve ships can be placed in commission colliers, and oil tanks with necessary fuel to keep the bunkers of the warships are being rushed to the rendezvous. Even the warships are utilized for that purpose. All that cleared since Thursday carried their entire bunker capacity jammed in their forward decks piled with stacks of fuel. Paris, August 1st. The French government has seized all French lines, including the English submarine telephone line. Telephonic communication is absolutely interrupted. This was done to make the censorship complete. While the telegraph and cable lines have been supervised by the censor for 48 hours, 
There was no way to check up on telephonic communications. Military operators have been placed in charge of the exchanges. London, August 1st. Great Britain's tentative war plans are complete. The cabinet perfected them at the two and one half hours sitting today. It was admitted that the situation was serious and plans to meet every possible contingency have now been perfected. Paris, August 1st. Germans are fleeing from Paris by the hundreds today. Reports from Rome that Germany has demanded that Russia and France declare their neutrality within 12 hours resulted in panic in the German colony. Brussels, August 1st. The supply of wheat in Antwerp was purchased by the Belgian government today. The government threatened to seize the wheat unless the price offered was accepted. Automobiles for hire by the hour, day, or week. Large, comfortable seven-passenger touring cars for parties of six. For delightful trips, spend the Sunday at Benedict Rock Point or Chapel Point. Good fishing and bathing at either place. For rates, phone 96. Palace Automobile Company, Incorporated, 115 North Pitt Street. Chamberlain's Tablets, a woman's duty to herself. Every woman owes it to herself to keep in good health. No one can reasonably be expected to maintain a cheerful disposition when half sick. Indigestion and constipation are two of the most common ills to which women are subject and, fortunately, are easily cured. Miss H.C. Getty, Indiana, Pennsylvania, writes, Last summer, I was advised by a friend to try Chamberlain's tablets for indigestion and constipation. This medicine not only cured me of those disorders, but toned up my whole system so that my health has been better than for years since taking them. For sale by all dealers. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The summer comfort. July is here and we are probably in for an unusual amount of hot, humid weather. One of our electric fans will do much to put ginger in the office force on hot days. The cost of operation is negligible, less than one half cent per hour. Let us show you our line of 8, 12, and 16-inch fans. It pays to have a breeze under your control. Alexandria County Lighting Company, 524 King Street. Colonial Beach, Washington's Atlantic City, Steamer St. John's. Leaves Cameron Street Wharf every day except Mondays at 9.30 a.m. and Saturdays at 3 p.m. Dancing on the Oversea Pier, boardwalks, saltwater bathing, fishing, crabbing, all amusements. Sundays, adults $1 and children 50 cents. Only season tickets sold. Weekdays, adults 50 cents, children 25 cents. Returning same day and season tickets sold. You can get those fine hot buns at 10.30 a.m., cakes of all kind, pastry and pies, fresh daily. Order your ice cream for Sunday dinner. We'll be delivered to any part of the city. H-Block Confectioner, Capital City Phone 156M, Bell Phone 131.
War is indeed an assured fact. Yeah, sometimes I hate already knowing what's going to happen. Man, you think we'll ever move past our own time? I don't know. We've been here for at least a month now. This might just be our new time. Oh, I doubt that. We stayed in Roswell for almost two months for the summer of 47, remember? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I remember that. Dang old aliens and men in black everywhere. A lot of men in black. Well, looky here. J.P. Morgan has something to say. Morgan's statement. Finance are still hoping there will be no great war. J.P. Morgan in New York yesterday, after conferences with leading bankers, issued this statement to the public. Alarming as the news is from Europe, we are still hoping that there will not be a general war. While the gravity of the present situation can hardly be exaggerated, there is still an opportunity for the sober second thought of the people of Europe prevail over their first impulses. If the delicate situation can be held in abeyance for a few days, I should expect a rising tide of protest from the people who are to pay for it with their blood and property. The situation of the American security market during the past few days has been a splendid illustration of the inherent soundness of financial conditions in this country. While we all earnestly hope that the New York Stock Exchange might be kept open, the situation is fraught with so much uncertainty that it seemed necessary in the interest of the whole country to close the exchange. It is essentially a time for the owners of American securities to keep their heads. Bear in mind that the actual properties represented by American securities will not suffer greatly by a European war. During the past few days, the American people have been buying back American securities at low prices. Presumably, they will pay for those securities when wheat and other products are at high prices. It is idle to say that America will not be hurt by a general European war. The wholesale waste of capital involved in such a catastrophe would result in the distribution of losses the world over, but the losses here would be infinitesimal compared to the losses to the countries immediately involved. There is no doubt that the whole American people will cooperate to restore normal conditions throughout this country at the earliest possible moment. Hmm, I'd say it's extremely idle to say that America won't be hurt by a world war. In their defense, they don't know it's a world war just yet. Nope, that's going to take a bit longer. Oh, Lordy, check this out. Followed by Ghost. Boy haunted by fear of man, he surrenders. The Kansas City Star says, Always the ghost of the man I killed was before me. It would rise up in the night and keep me from sleep. It would appear before me in the daytime when I tried to work, and I couldn't get away from it at a moment. Thus did Charles Wheatley, 19 years old, who gave himself up to the police, describe the pangs of a guilty conscience which has tortured him since the time of his crime. He declared that he killed Lee Thompson, a brakeman on a train in Arkansas. Wheatley said that the killing was on the night of March 14th, on a freight train between Gilbert and Harrison, Arkansas. He was bumming a ride, he said, and in a fight with the brakeman who tried to put him off, the brakeman fell between the cars, struck with an iron bolt Wheatley threw at him. The coroner's inquest declared that the death was due to an accident. I tried to forget, said the boy, but I couldn't. All hours of the day and night, the man's face would rise up before me, just as it looked that night. Huh. I almost feel bad for that man. Uh, Which one, the killer or the ghost? The killer? If he's feeling that guilty, he didn't mean to kill the man. Maybe it wasn't guilt. Maybe it's the dead man's ghost for real. You know that's not what it was. I know nothing of the sort. Any news about that Miss Hall case? Hmm. Oh, no. Looks like they're getting ready to hang her. Circumstances against woman. 
Miss Hall uneasily watches weaving of web around her. Blow to the defense. Witnesses testify to her alleged attempts to divert suspicion of killing her husband. Louisa Courthouse, Virginia, August 1st. Attorneys for the prosecution have come into possession of new evidence, which, unless refuted, will seriously embarrass the defense. The evidence is in the nature of a statement made to the Commonwealth's attorney Bibb and the attorney Fulton and his associate by Charles F. Johnson, the Richmond Railway clerk, whose testimony so surprised the defense Thursday. Johnson told two attorneys that he heard Miss Wood say that when she ran down into the store and found Miss Hall leaning over Vicar's body, Miss Hall told her she was trying to make her husband forget what happened. This bears out the statement made by Miss Ruby Chewing before the grand jury. Moreover, it is regarded as significant in view of the testimony given by M.F. Pierce, who told the jury of Miss Hall's message to Miss Wood, which was that she must not tell the grand jury anything that she had not told the coroner. The railway clerk was visiting Miss Wood's home one evening when she told, according to his statement, what Miss Hall said. Johnson's statement, as given to the Commonwealth's attorney Bibb and attorney Fulton, was as follows. I was at Miss Wood's home. I don't remember the exact day, but I know it was after Miss Hall was indicted. Miss Wood was in the room and several members of the family were there. Miss Wood said that when she got down into the store from her room, Miss Hall, with an ammonia bottle in her hand, was bending over Victor's body. She said she asked Miss Hall what she was doing, and Miss Hall said she was trying to make Victor forget what happened. Counsel clashed yesterday for the first time in the Hall case. The argument, which involved the admissibility of testimony regarding the fires at Green Spring Depot, was heard by the judge in chambers. Miss Hall was not present. Attorney for the Commonwealth, so the judge announced, has convinced him that testimony regarding the fire should be admitted. Counsel for Miss Hall promptly noted an exception. Witnesses will not be allowed at this time to testify as to all the fires at Green Spring Depot, but only the burning of Duncombe's store and the second attempt to burn Hall's store. It was announced that the defense expected to call Miss Elise Wood for the stand. It will not do so, however, until the Commonwealth's witnesses have been examined. Dr. Thomas M. Taylor was put on the stand for a moment by Attorney Fulton and asked if Victor Hall could have killed himself. The physician was positive that Hall could not have committed suicide without a mechanical contrivance to pull the trigger, which mechanical contrivance Victor Hall did not have. The Commonwealth suggests that it is a notable fact that although Miss Hall claims that she found her husband all crumpled up on the floor, that not a drop of blood was found. The bolster taken from the hall bed was saturated in blood. The Commonwealth will endeavor to show that Victor Hall was shot while in bed, the ball entering the back part of the head near the top of the skull and taking a downward course, lodging just over the left eye. That after he was shot, he was taken up with the bolster and dragged into the store. This, they say, accounts for the bolster being so bloody while there was not a drop of blood on the floor. Hmm. Do you think she could wrap up her husband and carry his dead body to the shop? I don't know. They haven't told us if she's a big woman or if he's a small man. But carrying a dead weight isn't easy. They really are fixing to railroad that poor lady. Well, they're allowing a lot of hearsay. Seems a bit shady. But hey, she might be guilty. I feel like she's innocent. <laughs> okay. Well, Monday, if we're still here, we'll take a car down Louisa County. And you can tell the judge. I'm sure they'll believe you and your feelings. Don't tempt me, sir. I think they set her up and the court is in on it. Well, I'm not tempting anyone. Huh. Looks like the weather has always been fairly unpredictable. Coldest day of the month. Mercury descends to 75 degree mark yesterday afternoon. Yesterday was the coldest day of the month. The highest temperature being only 75 degrees at 4 and 5 o'clock in the afternoon. 
At 6 o'clock yesterday morning, the mercury was down to 57 degrees. These temperatures were 11 degrees below normal. In fact, the entire month was below normal as the average temperature for the month was only 76 degrees. The present cool spell, according to Weatherman, is short-lived for already winds south are blowing, and this, of course, means a warmer weather. The cold spell of the last few days was due to the winds from the north and the northeast, bringing the ocean breezes. From all indications, there is a great ice field somewhere in the North Atlantic which is chilling the winds. While the winds from that direction are always cooler because of the ocean, they're never of the temperature of the last few days, except when icebergs are present. While there's no rain in sight at the present time, there's a possibility of a shower or two today. The forecast is probably fair. I told you it was awful cold for July. Yeah, you did, and as I recalled, I agreed with you. That's not the point. The point is, I was right. <laughs> yeah, I-, I know. It's a rare thing. Should we celebrate? Now that's bull and you know it. I'm telling you, I was right about the weather doing whatever the heck it wants, and global warming is just a load of crap. Oh, I must have missed that part about global warming. How about some news of the day to get your mind off that business? I sure do like being kept up to date. Go on, I'm listening. All right, here we go. News of the day. Transatlantic service of passenger and freight steamships with sailing between German and American ports has been practically suspended for an indefinite period owing to the international situation abroad. By wireless yesterday, the Hamburg American Line recalled its vessel, President Grant, and the North German Lloyd, its Grossier Kefürst, both of which sailed from New York Thursday, the former ship for Hamburg and the other one for Bremen. Each of these lines announced that the ships would be held until further notice at points where they are now in port, including Hamburg, Bremen, New York, and Boston. Ships now in mid-ocean will be held similarly at points of destination. The president and the administration acted promptly yesterday to reassure the country against any threatening financial dangers growing out of the European war. First, the president took steps to bring about an immediate completion of the organization of the Federal Reserve Board in order that the new currency law may become effective. Secretary McAdoo, expressing approval of the closing stock exchanges throughout the country, issued a statement announcing that a $500 million issue of emergency currency waiting at the Treasury Department will be made immediately available to the national banks. The headquarters of Women's Social and Political Union, the militant suffrage organization of London, sent a proclamation to all of its branches in the United Kingdom ordering the secession of all acts of militancy during the continuance of the international crisis. Relatives in Spartanburg, South Carolina, received word last night of the death of Reverend W. Norwood Tillingast, an Episcopal clergyman of Washington, D.C., at Morgantown, North Carolina. While attempting to board a moving train early yesterday, he fell under the wheels. He was a son of Reverend J. H. Tillingest of Eastover, South Carolina. The deceased was educated at the Episcopal Theological Seminary near Alexandria and was rector of an Episcopal church in the Rappahannock County some time ago. Bart and James Cantrell, brothers, were hanged at Gainesville, Georgia yesterday for the murder of Arthur Hawkins a year ago. With the hope of saving Bart Cantrell, who was 17 years old when he shot Hawkins, an appeal was made to Governor Slayton for executive clemency, but he refused to interfere. Miss Hawkins, convicted of having instigated the murder, now is serving a life term. It is brought out at the trial that Miss Hawkins wrote to James Cantrell and urged that he kill her husband, that she bought cartridges, and that Bart Cantrell was persuaded to commit the crime for a small reward. United States Senator Thomas F. Gore, using his heavy walking stick, struck Tom Moore 
a farmer over the head at Altus, Oklahoma, yesterday, completely shattering the cane. Senator Gore struck Moore during a political argument on the streets of Altus shortly after the two men had been introduced by Ellis Gore, brother of the senator, whose home is in Altus. Moore, according to witnesses, replied, Yes, such D-head men as you sold out to the Democratic Party. Senator Gore drew back his walking stick, and before Moore could dodge, the cane descended upon the farmer's head. Moore is alleged then to have said, Look out! You know I can't fight blind men! Henry Spencer, murderer of Miss Mildred Allison Rexrote, was hanged yesterday in the county jail at Wheaton, Illinois. Standing on the trap, Spencer repeated three psalms. Spencer murdered Miss Rexrote, a teacher of dancing, ten months ago, having lured her to a suburb with promise of professional engagement. He shot her through the head, took her suitcase and diamond ring, and placed the body on the railroad track. Jean Leon Jairs, the noted socialist leader, was assassinated last night while dining in a small restaurant near the Bourse in Paris. The assassin was arrested but refused to disclose his identity. Later, he was identified as Raoul Villain, 29 years of age, and said to be the son of a clerk in civil court at Reims. So, a United States senator just pulled out his cane and beat a man for criticizing his political party. Nice. I'd say it's a different time, but it seems to me that politicians of any time are quick to beat or even kill people for a bit of criticism. <laughs> that That is the truth. I would like to see all those big ships just sitting in port with nowhere to go for the moment. I think we'd have to move pretty quickly on that then. Pretty sure it'll be called a duty in the near future. <laughs> you probably have a point, but I bet it's one hell of a sight to see. Billy McCoy was a musical boy on the cruiser Alabama. He was there with that piano like a fish down in the sea. Germany's Schleifen plan was almost successful, but soon, by early September, the French will rally and halt the German advance at the bloody Battle of the Marne near Paris. By the end of this year, just four months from now, well over a million soldiers from various nationalities will have been killed on the battlefields of Europe, and there will still be no actual victory in sight. On the Western Front, the battle line that stretches across northern France and Belgium, the enemies will have settled down in the trenches for a terrible war and are facing a slow destruction. None of this will be pretty. Will John and Ed stick around? Or is it time for them to fall a bit further through time? Guess we'll have to wait and see. Join me again in a few days when we look in on John and Ed again as they continue falling through the archives. This podcast has been brought to you by Watershed Z Productions, starring Jim Hodges as the narrator, John Teach as John, Corey Andre as Ed, with special guest Mike Allender as advertisers. Music is from 1911, 1913, and 1914 and in the public domain. They are I Love the Ladies by Byron Harlan. He's a Devil in His Own Hometown by Ed Morton. California and You by Irving Kaufman. When You're a Long, Long Way from Home by Henry Burr. I Want to Go Back to Michigan by Elda Morris. The Abadaba Honeymoon by Collins and Harlan. He'd have to get under, get out, and get under to fix his automobile by Billy Murray. 
When You Wore a Tulip and I Wore a Big Red Rose by American Quartet, The Oceana Roll by Eddie Morton, and Cohen on the Telephone by Joe Heyman. Sound design and editing done by Hayden Hodges. The newspaper articles read on the show are actual written accounts of the time period and can be found in the Library of Congress under Chronicling America. If you would like to help support the show, you can by sharing our show with your friends and family. Follow and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. And check us out on Patreon at The Falling Archivist, where you'll find exclusive content and merchandise. In all honesty, it takes a lot to keep the show going, and we truly appreciate all the help we can get. Always pay attention to where and when you are, or you too may find yourself falling through the archives. Oh, don't belong. Hello, are you there? Oh, yes. Are you the bank? Yes. I want to see the manager, please. I say I want to see... What do you say? This is a, not a telescope, it's a telephone? You are very clever this morning, ain't it? Well, do me a favor. Hang a small piece, piece of crepe on your nose. Your brains are dead. And if I have any more of your impertinence, I'll speak to the manager about you. I say, oh, I'm speaking to the... Oh, you're the manager. I beg your pardon. I'm much obliged. Say, Mr. Manager, I rang up to tell you that I'm your tenant, Cohen. I say I'm your tenant, Cohen. I ain't going. I'm stopping here. I'm your tenant, Co- not Lieutenant Cohen. I want to tell you that last night the wind came and blew down the shutter outside my house. And I want you to send... I, I say last night the wind came and... The wind. The, not the devil, the wind. The wind. But you know what... Like that. Well, that blew my shutter down. Outside my house. And I want you... I say it blew the shutter out. The shutter. No, I didn't say shut up. No, the shutter. The thing that goes down the front of the shop. I want you to send the carpenter to mend the shutter. I say I want you to send the carpenter to mend the shutter. To mend the... Not a tremendous shutter, no. Hello, are you there? Yeah, last night the wind came and blew down the shutter outside my house. And I want you to send a carpenter. A carpenter. A, a workman, yes. You know, one of those fellows that hit the hammer with the nails, that's it. A workman. I want you to send a workman to mend the damaged shutter. I say I want you to send a workman to mend. To mend. Not two men, no, one man, two men, one man to mend the damaged shutter, to mend the, the damage. I ain't swearing at you, I'm only telling you. Are you there? Last night the wind came and blew down the shutter outside my house. And I want you to send a carpenter. A carpenter. Oh, never mind, I'll have it fixed myself. <laughs>